0: Welcome in, and thanks so much for joining me. In honor of the upcoming summer session of my group mentoring membership, which is going to be on the 37 Practices of a Bodhisattva, I'd like to share some teachings or some thoughts on some of its verses. So the 37 Practices of a Bodhisattva is uh, a text, uh, a lojong or mind training text, written by a 14th century Tibetan monk, saint scholar named Togme Zangpo, and this text has been continued since then to be taught, um, to be um, commented on. We have a tradition of commentary, and for many, many uh, Tibetan Buddhist masters to offer not only their wisdom, but the experience of having practiced the meaning or the words of this particular text. So the 37 practices of a bodhisattva, this text by Togme Sangpo is in the category of a Lojong text. And Lojong in Tibetan means uh, to train the mind. Uh, literally, it means mind training. Normally, when we use this term Lojong, it refers to specific teachings on Training, uh, the mind through, you know, in adversity, meaning when we're going through challenges, when we're going through difficult experiences in our life or a meditation practice, we can remember these Lojong teachings to cultivate more compassion and wisdom and to be able to move through obstacles more skillfully. So these Lojong teachings are very famous in Tibetan Buddhism because they're very pragmatic. It's about the everyday. It's about how we're acting reflecting, um, thinking in our everyday Dharma life and how we apply this to our relationships, our work, um, anything that comes up. Because all of us experience adversity in our life, some more than others. But in general, we could all use more tips, more, more strategies, uh, more kinder, more compassionate, more wise approaches to working with our own adversity or struggles or challenges um, in our daily life. So this first verse uh, goes like this. Right now, you have a good boat, fully equipped and available, hard to find. To free yourself and others from the sea of samsara, day and night, constantly study, reflect, and meditate. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. So Togme Sampo is referring to a few things here. First, he's referring to this idea in Mahayana Buddhism that... This human life is incredibly precious. Sometimes we call this a perfect human rebirth or a precious human rebirth. But really what it's referring to, like it says here, is this vessel we have of a physical body, uh, of a mind that can think, that can work through problems, a mind that can meditate, a mind that can reflect and be skillful on what might bring more happiness for ourselves and others, and also what can remove uh, more suffering for ourselves and others. So, as he describes it here, he uses the the uh, analogy of a, a good boat. You know, just like as a good boat that's well built can carry us from one shore to the other, this precious life, this human body, can not only bring joy if we use our mind, um, our body, speech, and mind skillfully. But um ultimately, we can uh, attain awakening, which in Buddhism is our own natural state, free from suffering, free from struggles, free from the bondage we get into in our mind. And so that's what the second part of the verse is pointing to. It's pointing to the sense that, you know, to free yourself and others from the sea of samsara, day and night, constantly study, reflect, and meditate. So it's referring to this, what we call the this this bodhicitta wish so this text the 37 practices of a bodhisattva uh, a bodhisattva is an individual who's who's freed their mind to a certain extent um uh, they've managed to understand that their own happiness and suffering is dependent upon their mind it's dependent upon the attitudes they take up in their mind whether they are following their aversion clinging and confusion Or they are remedying those and living uh, with less, you know, living under less impact of confusion, aversion, and um, clinging. So that combined with the motivation that they're doing that so they can encounter others from a more awakened, free, compassionate space, right? And so at that point, a bodhisattva becomes a person who beams liberation for others, an example for all of us to, um, see what's possible with this precious human life. And so bodhicitta, uh, directly the, the term in Sanskrit means the mind of awakening. And it refers to this mind or heart, um, of this awakened space that we all have availability to. Um, we all have the potential to encounter that awakened space, um, it's not necessarily um, immediately obvious, right? So that's why we have these paths and structures within Buddhism, so we can have a structured path to study, reflect, and meditate on, so we can bring about this awakened nature more and more. But first, we have to understand what bodhicitta is. And this is a wish to be free from the bondage of what our own mind creates, right? So this is the premise in Buddhism. Again, just for some of you who, who are new to me, I never recommend accepting any of this on blind belief. These are more like questions, if you're new to Buddhism, to take away. So they would be questions that we would then be curious about. Hey, is that true? You know, is, is my happiness and suffering dependent upon my mind or not? That's the first question, right? That's a really important one. Because from that question, we can start to discover, well, if it is, you know, and again, Buddhism is saying, yes, this is the foundations of the path. But like I said, we have to discover this through our own curiosity and reflection. So once we've discovered that, then we have this potential embedded in bodhicitta. Because then we actually have agency, right? Because it's saying if happiness and suffering come from the mind, and we've established some conviction in that through reflection and curiosity, then that means we need to work with our mind, which we actually have agency over. Right. I don't necessarily have agency over what others do. I don't have agency over, um, you know, if someone chooses to run a stop sign or not when I'm crossing the street. Right. I mean, obviously, we have systems in place in society and we need to improve systems so they are uh, more compassionate to all. That's just obvious. We'll put that out there. Right. But we also have to take care of the mind. Because our own perception influences our own internal happiness and or pain or suffering. Or we can even just say mild dissatisfaction. That's all influenced by our own thoughts, our own behaviors, how we think of ourselves, how we think of others. And so bodhicitta is embedded in once we've decided, I have agency, right? I know it's not going to be easy, but I have agency. Then we can cultivate this wish for freedom. Because we have that agency and we cultivate that wish that as we cultivate our path, um, we can become that light more and more for others. Now, I have my particular uh way of talking about this, which I'll share with you right now. I don't think this is a uh, novel, but I do think it's important to discuss this. That doesn't mean we have to rescue anybody. Right. So this is not saying we become. uh, How do you say it? A saint in the let's say the, the pop culture view of what a saint is. Sort of like this. When you meet someone who's just very naturally calm, you meet someone who's just naturally um compassionate and kind, what does that do to you? Have have you ever been in a in a in an interaction with someone like that? I have. Um, and I noticed right away, I I became disarmed in that interaction. You know, if I was coming with some stress or anxiety. It actually soothes my stress and anxiety to be around that person because I didn't feel a threat from them. I felt a space of warmth. I felt a space of welcome. I felt a space of, um, again, kindness or compassion from them. And also a space of humbleness, right? They, they weren't trying to do that. That was just who they genuinely were. So we could see when we enter these environments uh, with, with other people who mirror Really pro-social and awakened, or we could say compassionate behavior. We also, um, uh, through coming into contact with that, that mirror shows us what our potential is, right? And then, of course, someone who's done that to a greater degree, let's say someone who we could call a bodhisattva, um, they're able to mirror the potential of actually freedom, full freedom or awakening. Which would be full freedom from our aversion, clinging and confusion, right? That's again, another premise of the Buddhist path that maybe if you're new to this, I would, I recommend, um, being curious about, ending into more study or reflection on rather than blindly believing it. But anyways, this is the premise for, for the context of both what a bodhisattva is, which is the, uh, sorry, what a bodhisattva is and what bodhicitta is. A bodhisattva is a product of bodhicitta and bodhicitta is the state of mind. That embodies its own natural awakened state that's infused with unconditional love and compassion, right? This is the premise here. So based on that, there's this, this notion, uh, he, he brings in the term samsara to free yourself and others from the sea of samsara, right? So samsara is a Sanskrit word and there's a lot of different ways to talk about this term in Buddhism. You'll see, you know, one interpretation is through these six realms of existence, um or six states of existence. Um again in in, Buddha, in classical Buddhism there's there's um rebirth or or that the consciousness uh doesn't have a beginning or end. So when the consciousness leaves our our Human body, this life, it, it will move on to another existence based on cause and effect or karma. This is sort of classical Buddhism. And, um, but there's also another way to think of samsara. So that's the one I want to share with you here. Samsara is also this mind projecting an outer or an objective reality in each moment, right? So again, first we have the premise, does Are we, you know, is our own thoughts, um, emotions, how do you say, personalization of our experience, is that responsible for our happiness or suffering? We have to first reflect on that. Uh, The reflection I recommended a few minutes ago. But then we can start to reflect on this. Is there an objective reality? Right? This is a big question in Buddhism, as well as modern science, uh, modern physics. And um, again, Too much to go into here, but it's a great question to ask. And what this means is, is there anything outside of my perception that exists in the way it appears, right? Meaning, is there anything that I experience not influenced by my own perception? Or we could say thoughts and perception. So with that, this is sort of how we could also think of samsara in a more subtle level, right? This is the mind our mind, from a Buddhist perspective, that binds itself in each moment through clinging to duality. And duality here would be that split into subject and object, that there's a distinct me, mine, and I, and that me, mine, and I experiences an objective reality. So this then forms samsara, when we're stuck or caught in that duality. So then from that duality of subject-object, Clinging, aversion, and confusion happen, right? Those those three uh, afflictive emotions that I named earlier. And those disturb our mind. I mean, just think of the last time you were really angry. Um, how did you feel? Well, you were, you know, really worked up. How did you feel once you calmed down and came, you know, uh, the anger released? I know the last time I was angry, it was incredibly uncomfortable. You know, I didn't like being angry. I felt some shame for being angry, right? Um, and so we can see, we can't get rid of these emotions. Uh, actually, that's not the purpose of the Buddhist path. Some people misunderstand that. Okay, well, now I see my anger is destructive, so let's get rid of it. <laughs> no, uh, you know, good luck. <laughs> no, actually, more so, we have to recognize that it's a state of mind and that it's happening in relation to this fixation on an objective reality like i usually get angry because i'm angry with something that i'm perceiving or thinking about outside of me right not i'm not reflecting on my own relationship to it so another way to talk about this bind of samsara is relationship when we're not fully in relationship i don't mean with others i mean in this aspect of recognizing how we are in relationship to everything our thoughts, emotions, the outer world, others, etc. When we stop acknowledging that, or we're not able to acknowledge that um on a deeply experiential level, then the samsara happens, this bind, right? So that's another way to think of it. So um yeah, just a few thoughts on that. And so then at the end of this verse, uh Togmezambo gives the remedy. Day and night, constantly study, reflect, and meditate. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. So these are the, you know, reflect, study, reflect and meditate. These are called the three, three wisdoms in Buddhism. The wisdom of learning, uh, the wisdom of reflecting and the wisdom of meditation. So this is kind of the how of the Buddhist path or or at least the Mayana Buddhist path. This is, this is how we actually transform because moving from that split Subject-object duality or that disconnected, not in relationship experience, right? Meaning not able to experience the fullness of our relationship to everything. That's a a deeply ingrained habit for most of us, myself included. And so we need a structured path to be able to shift that, to be able to erode uh, or, or shake up how we're working with that. And so the wisdom of learning would be the first step where we actually learn the Dharma. We, you know, right now that's more or less what we're doing, right? I'm sharing some ideas, you're listening and learning a little bit. That would be the, the, the first type of wisdom. We take that learning, we engage the second type of wisdom, which is the wisdom of reflection. Which again, I, I acknowledged uh, at the beginning of, of this um, recording, where I recommended reflect based on curiosity. Not based on blind belief. So reflection has to be open. Reflection also includes healthy skepticism, right? Where we're, we're both being skeptical of maybe something we learned, but we're also using something we learned to be skeptical of our own belief. So in essence, when we reflect, we're questioning belief because another way to talk about the bondage of samsara or the sea of samsara in this case is to talk about the bondage of belief. So reflection helps to shake that up, right? And then once we've shaken it and we have a little bit of an idea that, okay, maybe, maybe there's more to this experience than what I'm seeing. Uh, maybe there's more to this given reality or appearance or perception or thought than, than I experience at the moment. And then we bring that into meditation. We bring awareness and we try to cut through almost as if we have the laser of awareness in meditation. We try to cut through our. Uh, stuck perception, right? Because the reflection is not enough. The reflection just brings more conviction often and it shakes things up a little bit. But our habits are strong, right? Our habits of aversion, clinging and confusion are strong. So we need something more powerful, which is the mind abiding in awareness, right? And so we typically engage in meditation through the two paths of shamatha or calm abiding practice and vipassana or insight meditation, so, this is just an introduction into this verse, uh, just to share some of my ideas how, how I've learned this verse, from, both from my teachers and also through the larger Buddhist path. You're more than welcome to join me in the upcoming summer session of my group mentoring membership community, where we're going to dive deep into not only this verse, but all of the verses of this text. And more so, we're going to talk about how to practice this, because one thing is the information. But what I found to be more challenging is, well, how do I actually put this into practice and how do I deal with the challenges that come up while I'm putting it into practice, right? So that's what we're going to primarily focus on. So thanks so much for joining me. Uh, Really appreciate uh, you taking the time to listen or watch this. And feel free to reach out if you want to know more about my group mentoring membership. You can learn more at scotttusa.com slash mentoring. And... Feel free to reach out anytime. I really look forward to your feedback. Thanks so much.